This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that surfs the channels of history seven days a week. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about the birth of HBO, a new kind of network that appeared in the dark days of television and raised expectations for quality programming on the small screen. The day was November 8th, 1972. Home Box Office, or HBO, began broadcasting for the first time. At a time when cable television was still in its infancy, one of its most prominent advocates was an American businessman named Charles Dolan. He believed there was an audience for a premium channel that broadcasted recent films as well as special events like live sports, stand-up comedy, and concerts. Dolan took his idea to Time, Inc., which was looking for a way to break into the growing cable TV business. Dolan originally pitched the service under the working title of The Green Channel, but once Time signed on as an investor, he and his staff changed the name to Home Box Office as a way to showcase the Hollywood and event programming that would become the channel's specialty. Time, Inc. marketed HBO in the same way it did its magazines, by having subscribers pay a monthly fee for the content. In the case of HBO, it launched with a subscription fee of about $6 per month. The channel kept a little over half of the profits, with the rest going to Time, Inc. and the local cable operators who distributed the service. For most of its first decade, HBO aired programming for only about 9 hours a day, It didn't switch to its current 24-hour schedule until 1981 as a way to match its main competitor, Showtime. The first thing HBO ever broadcast was a little-known movie from 1971 called Sometimes a Great Notion. The drama about Oregon loggers was directed by Paul Newman, who also starred alongside Henry Fonda. After that, the channel aired its first live sporting event, an NHL hockey game between the New York Rangers and the Vancouver Canucks. Other early event programming included three hours of coverage of the 1973 Pennsylvania Polka Festival. HBO's subscribership took a dip that year from 14,000 down to 8,000. Not that I'm suggesting Polka Fest had anything to do with that. The truth is, that reduced subscribership was still far better than the channel's first year. When HBO debuted in 1972, it had only 365 subscribers, all of whom lived in or around Pennsylvania. This was due in part because the channel was broadcasting its signal via microwave relays, which are significantly cheaper than satellites, but have a far more limited range. Eventually, HBO's subscriber list plateaued, and the channel was forced to pony up for satellite distribution in order to reach a broader audience. The changeover took place on December 13, 1975, just in time for the landmark Thrilla in Manila boxing match between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. The switch to satellite broadcasts allowed the channel to grow exponentially, 
Just two years later, in 1977, the service had soared to over 600,000 subscribers. Of course, a major part of the channel's appeal was the rotating selection of recent hit films that HBO licensed for TV. At the time, the home video market was small and growing slowly. That means a pay service like HBO was a lot of people's only option if they wanted to watch popular movies that had already left theaters. The channel catered to this demand by scooping up the rights to bigger and better films, but sometimes they didn't come cheap. The cost for the rights to broadcast a movie were based directly on how well that movie had performed in theaters. The more money it made at the box office, the more it would cost the home box office to air. One of the pricier deals HBO made for movie rights was the 1984 hit Ghostbusters. According to former HBO employee Bill Messy, the channel paid Columbia Pictures a jaw-dropping $40 million for the exclusive broadcast rights. For reference, just a few years earlier, HBO had licensed 40 films from MGM for about $35 million. But the high price of big draw movies like Ghostbusters was ultimately worth it. HBO continued to expand, and by the mid-1980s, it boasted over 10 million subscribers, representing about 50% of all pay TV customers. Today, the channel has more than 10 times that amount of viewers, but blockbuster films aren't the main draw anymore. HBO began producing its own original films and shows in the 1980s, but it wasn't until The Larry Sanders Show in 1992 that the network's in-house productions began to truly hit their stride. The dark comedy series functioned as a parody of late-night TV chat shows, with frequent celebrity guests playing exaggerated versions of themselves. The distinctive show drew rave reviews from critics, which in turn encouraged HBO to take bigger risks on more new shows. A string of successful original series followed, including Sex and the City, Oz, The Wire, The Sopranos, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Game of Thrones, to name a few. This slate of original programming helped raise the bar for television quality, ushering in what's often described now as a golden age of TV. Just don't tell that to the channel, because they're still under the impression that it's not TV, it's HBO. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any feedback or recommendations for what to watch on HBO, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.